This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Shut up and sit down. Hey everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Today on the line we have Tom Speech from Vanguard Optics. Um, how you doing today, Tom? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. We're finally getting, I mean you're in Michigan too, so we're finally getting a little bit of the, the summer weather for the first yeah, time. I don't, I don't know if it hit the 80s or what today, but we were outside earlier and I said, starting to sweat a little bit. Not used to it. Yeah, John's here in a... <laughs> tank top and shorts and i mean a week ago it was raining i mean as soon as we got back from the total archery challenge it just rained non-stop pretty much yeah the rain's been nuts so yeah today i wanted to talk about a little bit about optics so one of those things where i you john's using the you know hundred dollar bear, bear grills, grills from walmart and you know i've got a a, a set of vortex and you know it's one of those things well, that's where, a problem. well, I, Hey, I mean, how long <laughs> no. have I been talking to you? You know, I know, I know. And, and I, I 100% want to get into that because I, I really feel like, um, I, you know, I've done a little bit of no, reading. It's a good topic. Yeah. I've, I've done a little bit of reading and, and kind of understand kind of how the optics community works, but for, you know, our listeners going to be, I mean, so for, for John and I, right. Um, yeah. whitetail hunters, we're, not behind our optics all the time. It's just a tool from here to there. And then, I mean, in the rifle world, right, they say that you should spend two to three times what you spend on the rifle on the optic. And for your average guy that goes to, let's use John's example of Walmart, and you buy yourself a package rifle that comes with a scope, well, hell, that's good enough, right? <laughs> well, I bought mine on a, on a, on a hunting trip. My old Bushnells, you know, right. took a crap. But, but you know, granted, we're whitetail hunters, so we're we're just, you know, looking 100 yards, 200 yards, if that. And, I mean, for archery. 
And so I ended up, I went to Walmart last minute and all I had were these, you know, Bushnell Bear Grills edition. And I was like, well, I guess I'll get those. My, uh, my bino harness is more expensive than, than my actual binos. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's kind of the topic that I wanted to kind of dive into and, and, and get some information both for us, but, but for the listener, because I think a lot of it is, um, marketing and, and things like that. But, uh, before we get into that, hundred percent, you know, let's get a little bit of background on, on you and kind of what makes you qualified to talk about, uh, optics and in, in, in archery yeah yeah i know we've, we've known each other for a little bit um let's see um so i mean as you guys you know growing up as a hunter archer uh, i remember when i was back there at my parents house and i don't know it used to be called a little little red bow i think it was you know a little recurve bow and um being the backyard practice and i still remember like four or five, like first bowls out, you know, uh, you know, ecstatic. And that's where it kind of started. You know, my dad was a hunter, uncles were hunters. and um, you know, got into it. I've done both rifle and bow, you know, being in Michigan, you know, you got to go above the rifle line. So as soon as your prime, your primo spot disappears, it's kind of like rifles either go to state land or, you know, try to get some more connection. So, but being in, you know, the passion for archery and, down this way underneath a, a shotgun zone, I just practiced and practiced and quickly became acclimated to, you know, take a comfortable 40, 50 yard shot if need be. Um, over the years, and like my father, he used to, he still says, you know, if you stick to it, you're going to do something with it. And that's what led, you know, had that mindset. And that's what led me to, um, I think it was actually that 2015. I established uh, Shoot for Life, which was the it's an archery nonprofit, which we could chat more about that a little bit later. Um, but archery focus, you know, it's a good cause. And and just kind of got in the industry and, um, you know, stayed with that. You know, you, your company start looking at, you know, use stuff like that for the community. And you become, you know, people are looking up to you. They start to see how you become a valuable asset for a marketing point. Um, so when you see ambassadors or, you know, that name changes based on a company. But back in 20, I think it was 2015. Yeah, about 2015. Um, I signed a contract with Bowtech. And uh, I had shot their bow probably for two or three years before that. And that was my first footstep in the industry. And that was before, like, I'm sure you guys seen, like, the big boom of all these other companies coming in with different variations of field staff, pro staff, what they classify it. But it was right before that, and uh, that started it. And, you know, a couple of the companies in between there and there that I've supported and created a relationship with and some long-lasting ones. And then because of, um, it was really Botech and Spy Point, of, I'd go down to Cabela's and do the fall classic and you just really enjoyed engaging with people. It wasn't so much of if they ended up walking out of there with a other brand bow or uh, you know, a different trail camera, it was just engaging, talking, hunting and letting them know, Hey, there's something else out there outside of reading the directions or a backer card. 
uh, I said, you know, I want to get a job within the industry. And that's the hardest part, really, is just getting into the industry. If you want that job, it's once you get in, that's the biggest hill. It's a steep hill. Uh, it's just right place, right time. And um, Vanguard has to be looking about two years ago, and they were in the right backyard of me. And I applied, and I was able to get in. So it took it took some time, um, but you built, you know, you're building your own resume, your own portfolio, to make yourself credible. Um, because in the outdoor industry, you know, we're all myself, you, uh, we're, we look to companies who have value, and that value starts within. So these outdoor companies that stand and really strive and you know, last a long time, They're, they value their workers within. Um, so it's definitely hard to get there. It's just you got to build that portfolio up, and that's where, how I've gotten where I am today. Awesome. And so wh- what do you do? What's your position now with um, in Vanguard? And uh, I guess what did you learn along the way? Um, because, like I say, for us in, in the optics world, it's like you either pick up a magazine or social media and everybody shoots everybody has to have a vortex uh, optic or you go to walmart or your big box store and get whatever's on the shelf yeah and so the, those are some... i'd say for the for the layman you know there's leupold and then you've got the prices that are in the stratosphere of like zeiss and swarovski yeah, right. <laughs> and the things that you know you you see on like the Safari Club International, so it's a twenty thousand dollar hunt. So you got to at least have a ten thousand dollar set of binoculars or a spotting scope. <laughs> so mine, my position now um, is is a regional sales manager of the West Coast of the United States, and a little bit of we're dab on the sales side, dabbling uh, internationally into Canada, and but I also still hold a a marketing role. Um, you know, we call it like marketing specialist where I help the senior marketer, um, you know, based on my experience, what I've just kind of went through and we work on connections, networking, um, on that side of things. I pioneered the Archer pro program based on my past experience. Like we just talked about with Botech by point. Then you look at the good and the bad. Um, so it makes it fun. Uh, that's not what I started out with. I was just an inside sales guy when I first got in, um, it would just work that way up. And just prove, just like how we prove ourselves, you know, you're, you're trying to grow uh, the podcast, your brand. Um, you just you work hard and you, you get where you need to go. And that's what I've gotten to be able to hold that, that joint role. Because when you have such a mixed age group, um, you're able to bring in a new perspective of where you need to go. And you brought up, you know, someone on marketing, they can go see a Vortex. Um, or Leopold, it's because for years there was, you know, I, I've never worked for those companies, so I don't know the entire details, but they, like Vortex, anyone would tell you they did, they still do one heck of a job on marketing. Uh, they created a brand where people will go buy a shirt because it's a, you know, they've got the logo on the Vortex. Um, and the same thing, and it's not to say that Vanguard never did a good job, it just was in the previous years there was a different uh, business platform um, all the way to years back. They did OEM stuff for 
like Winchester spotting scopes, rifle scopes, uh, the gun cases, when those are all out, those were being done and produced by Vanguard. Um, so they did a lot more OEM. And then back around, I think it was the 2000s, they, they got into the glass direct. But when you look at the tripods, they were on the photo video side for years. So you see more advancement in the tripod sector. Um, and a lot more folks go into that. So that's where you see the difference uh, on the, just the name really. Um, on talking quality wise, Vanguard's optics are compared to Leopold. Um, because the one thing that we can do that a lot of other competitors cannot, unless you're, you know, Leopold Dice, uh, Swarovski, is we're able to measure light transmission rate. Uh, and that is because we have a Vanguard factory. It's our own factory. We get the glass chips in raw, then everything's cut to spec right there. Um, so, for example, like at the edge of our ED4s, to the whole entire barrel. That's, so there's, uh, prop, I mean, you look at them, six, eight inches, depending on your optic, but it's through the, all the elements in there. At the outermost edge, we have a 93 and a half light transmission rate. At, on a Zeiss Victory HT, which has shot glass, uh, a lot of people are familiar with that. Um, really good, clear optics. They have a 95%, and that's a $3,000 optic. And those ED4s are 500. So, like Vanguard, since there's no subcontract in our outsourcing, they're able to keep a family-friendly price and a top-quality optic, where you're getting a $500 bino that specs out to three grand. Uh, and that's what I like because, um, let's face it, we spend too much money on bows and stuff sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and gear, uh, but we need it. And a lot of times guys get all that stuff and they get to the optics, which are the most pristine part, you know, whether it's from Michigan tree stand to, you know, getting the heart pumping because you think you might see a big buck, but it ends up being nothing. <laughs> or if you're out West on a spot and stock and you're trying to decide if I should chase it. Um, if you spend all your money elsewhere and then you don't invest in good quality optics, you're, you're going to be busting your butt for nothing. Um, real quick, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but, uh, I kind of know the the backstory just because, I, like I said, I've done some reading and a little bit of research on optics and, and things like that. So you talk about that Vanguard has their own factory and they're able to, you know, source their own things. Um, I guess how does the rest of the industry work or what, what makes that different? Um Versus, so a lot of in modern days, uh, before we would see some companies that would say assembled in America, uh, or some other lingo to make it sound like it was done here in the U.S. But when people started digging deeper, uh, they found out it wasn't. Um, so for and you can find this. This isn't any kind of hidden information. You can find it on the internet, um, unless it's changed from now until this this podcast, but like Vortex and Leopold, two names that they know, their glass is cut overseas in, in the China, China area. I, I believe it's China still. Um, some, you know, based on a factory that they're using, and it's not their own factory. It's some, who knows what the name of it is, but they're just cutting the glass. And the housings are made elsewhere, 
and then they're shipped to the Philippines for assembly. And then from there, they come into the U.S. for distribution to folks like you, me, and dealer. So now you've gotten, what, three, four hands of exchange going on? So you have to cover everyone's labor costs, and that's where you see the price increase. So when you have a factory like Vanguard that's just from point A to point B, you're getting the quality of what you should be paying. You're overpaying for the name, really. And I've had Vortex, too. Um, and like I said, it, it can be good glass, but then if there's ever an issue, uh, because they're not doing it themselves and they have a bad, they have a bad run, they might get some bad quality glass going out there and they were able to stop it right away because you're outsourced until it gets too late. And that's the one downside. But you know, like you look at it, like a Swarovski, it's crystal glass. They're doing it themselves. Um, and I've had, and this is no joke. I, I was at Pope and Young um, this year in Nebraska, and those guys. I mean, if you've ever been there, they're hardcore hunters. They've, they've been at it for years, old timers. We all look up to them, and they're coming by checking it out, and they're looking at the price. We did a deal for them, you know, first time there. But even the regular cost, they weren't blocking an eye because they're like, we all own Swarovskis. You know, they have the money to blow on it, but they said they could not justify keeping those based on the quality and clarity, like it was just too close to keep five grand, 10 grand in your, in your closet, or you could keep a thousand dollars between, you know, optic and a spotter. It, it was just like a no brainer to some of these guys. And that's what I think we fall for in a general mindset. We fall for the marketing aspect way too often as human beings. Yeah. And I'm not trying to pick on any sort of company or anything like that. Um, but like I say, it was just my understanding that a lot of this stuff is made in the same factories. The you know, you know, whether uh, and I'm not saying yeah. Leupold or Vortex, but I, I'm thinking like Nikon, Bushnell, you know, any of those. It, it sounds like from all the the reading that I've done, a lot of those are just made in the same factory and on the same line. Yep. Today they might make this one, and then yeah, well, tomorrow's you, Nikon. And if you look at, I mean, look at cars, you know. Sometimes, you know, parts of cars are made elsewhere and they're not just making that bumper. They're making it for other companies too. Um, and I didn't know that prior to working with them. So it was interesting to find out. Um, and really it comes down, you know, this is just because it's one thing I haven't dabbled into and, and I really care to take the time to look and read the legality portion of it. But there's rules that a U.S. owned company cannot own a factory over in the Asian continent to cut their own glass. It has to be outsourced. So that's why when you see, you know, Nikon, Bushnell, Vortex, Leopold, uh, those guys who are U.S. owned companies, they don't, they don't own the factory. It, it's being outsourced. So then people are always like, well, how's Vanguard doing it? Well, so Vanguard was 33 years ago, was founded in Whitmore Lake, Michigan. Uh, by a lady who she was born in Taiwan, came over to the U.S., you know, did all the legal stuff, um, founded the founded Vanguard in Whitmore. And because of that, her original nationality, she's able to own a factory on the Asian continent. So it's a, it's all Vanguard employees. Um, you know, we get, like I said, we get all that stuff in Ross. So that's where you see how that would be possible. So, 
what people always ask at shows, you know, I want something that's the, the closest to, you know, American made. And it's, unless there's something else that's up there, I don't know. Like I said, everything's changing. It is from what I've learned is Vanguard's one of the closest to American made when it comes to optics and tripods because it's everything's designed, packaging, prototyped in the U.S. And then our main factory where everything's cut and, designed and built is right over there. It's still owned. And it comes back. We're not outsourcing to any other kind of foreign country. It's really interesting. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you think about it, everybody wants that made in the USA thing. And then there's, there's kind of like no way around that. That's people will pay no, more. Yeah. people. I mean, people will market the shit out of that. And, you know, like you, you said earlier. Phones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and a, a lot yeah, of people, it is interesting. But, but a lot of people, you know, will pay more. People market the shit out of it, and, you know, for good reason. But there's just some things like where, there, like you said, like the cell phones, you know, there isn't one that's made in the U.S. I don't even know there's one piece that's made in the U.S. I mean, it would it would be very surprising. John's an electronics guy. How much of that stuff is made yeah. around here? Uh, none that I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I mean, that's like that's what I like about it, and you know what drew me to the company even more after I started was even on the you know so EDHD glass it's the same glass. It's, you know, they, sometimes they call it high def or extra low dispersion glass, what it really is, uh, and it helps low light scenarios and. If you see those green lines on trees, it gets rid of that chromatic aberration. Um, that's what that's you said. But even on our entry level, the Endeavor ED, those have a 91% at the edge. And if you go and look over at a comparison table, um, I don't have the model right in front of me, but it's a Leica, and it's $2,400, and a 91% at the edge. And that one's 24 and then... The Endeavor ED is only three hundred bucks. So real, and, real quick, I feel like we like stepped through like some sort of time travel continuum. Or I know like that you just started like talking like in all these uh, different word like acronyms and and things like that. So for like our listener, like what is it that you're kind of speaking to right there, like with the the EDHD and what when so, they pick up a, a a set of binoculars, whether it's at Walmart or Cabela's or, you know, wherever, what is it that they need to be looking for as a, yeah, no, as a consumer, I, not as a, a, a guy that knows about glass? <laughs> yeah, no, so I'm glad, glad you picked up on that ass. So uh, that goes back to the marketing side of things that you hear people say, oh, it has HD glass. They have to buy HD glass. And then someone will say, well, what's ED glass? Because um, so and so has it, or you know, Vanguard, whoever else is marketing it as ED glass, and then the store, some of these store workers will say, "I don't know," but you need HD glass because they're thinking, you know, it's like 4K versus 1080P, um, and it's the same thing. Like HD, ED, HD glass is ED glass, so ED glass, the the it's extra low dispersion, and that, you know, it's helping your light control. Uh, your image clarity, and when I mentioned like the green lines, so if you if you look through binoculars that do not have it, 
And if you're looking, especially for like a white surface along a tree line, you might see a green line or a purple line, like right along the edge. Like if you were to draw the picture, um, that's chromatic aberration. And it's just that light that's being distorted and you're not getting a true clarity image. So when you have ED HD glass, uh, as long as there's nothing, you know, wrong with the coatings or anything like that, um, you're not, it's going to eliminate that line that you're seeing. And not, so that's just a, that's more of like an, I call it like a nuisance in seeing a line. What really what it's best for is dusk and dawn. You know, the two prime hours, especially for whitetail, is, you know, when it starts getting dark, when it starts getting light, you can start to, you can look or, you know, I don't know how many times I've been out in the woods before I even had good optics. And it starts to get first light and you think you see something, it ends up being a bush. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get all worked up for nothing. <laughs> so when you're going into a store, you know, it's best to look, you know, get, get the HDED glass. Uh, you know, you're going to, you're going to feel better. You're going to see clearer. Um, and you're not going to get all blood pressure pumping for a bush. And when you're talking about the, the 91%, 93%, like what is that in relation to? I mean, obviously 95% is better, but why? Or it, how do you yeah, tell? Yeah, that's the amount of, that's the amount of light. So we have product marketing managers that, that worry, that deal with all the development and giving us all the numbers, um, do all the testing in the labs. But that, so if you would, if you look through the whole entire binocular, at the, if you looked out towards the edge of the binocular, that's not a light that's coming through, you know, because every time it passes through, it's going to eat up light. If some other companies in the past, which I haven't seen any lately, is they would market that their glass has 99% light transmission rate. Um, that's false and that's impossible to say that it did do the whole entire thing because as you get closer to the black object, unless you had a clear, unless you had a hundred percent glass binocular, possibly, but you get towards the edge where it's dark and black, you start, you know, light changing. Um, so what their, that marketing scheme was, they're saying through the dead center of your binocular on the glass is the 99%. But they were also marking in that, that 99% was, so if you would take the binocular, cut it in half, and you grab that lens that's on the, the far side, the objective lens, and dead center, only through one glass element was 99%. So it's not even through the whole entire, all the elements of glass that binoculars have in it, you know, the prisms, uh, that's not including that. So that was like a false, which was that marketing advertisement thing that was going out for a little bit. And that is a big factor on when you're looking at percentage, if you start dabbling with that quality game, um, you know, dusk and dawn, how much later you're going to see. And, but at the same time, and this goes for, this is actually a good one for, you know, listeners is, you know, we'll go to trade shows, and so we have our twos, we'll just say twos, the twos in the first gen. Um, I'll have to do a little backup too. So we, we use, and the twos we use, it's called a Hoya Japanese glass. 
that we that we cut, and then in the onesies, it's a Chinese ED glass. Um, on the glass spectrum, if you're comparison, it goes Swarovski, which is crystal glass, then Zeiss, then Hoya, then the Chinese ED glass. Um, you know, you're talking about quality light transmission. Um, so with that in mind, when, when folks, so technically the twos of ours are better than the first gen, but we'll be at trade shows and folks will say, I can't tell a difference or, you know, the, the ones are better, but they're a hundred dollars cheaper. Why should I buy the twos? And we'll tell them buy the one. It, it, if they're better for your eyes, save yourself a hundred bucks. We're, we're not gaining anything special by it. Um, we want you to be happy and get what's good for your eyes. Just in general, whether listeners come to Vanguard or, you know, go somewhere else, just don't fall into that, that marketing scheme where just because it costs more, it's better for your eyes. Um, because it, it may not be, and you want a good experience and, that boils down to, you know, why some of us wear glasses. It's, it's a prism. The prisms within our eyes perceive the glass differently. So the reason why someone sees that the the Chinese ED glass, the first gen, is better for them is because their prisms are more adapted to that glass. When in all theory, and when you're looking at price and quality, the Hoya is better. Um, but like I said, go with what's better for, for the user. And so that's a pretty good transition and kind of the next thing I wanted to talk about, which was, you know, the the cost of optics. And, you know, for this podcast, we'll say binoculars and maybe spotting scopes. Um, and then value, quality, durability, and kind of like uses. So what... You know, they make binoculars across every single spectrum from, you know, the little tiny, what are they, like 8 by 20s or something like that. Oh, yeah. And then all the way up to, you know, the bird watching ones that wouldn't fit in this room. Um, (laughs) You know, um, but for the average person, I think 8 by 42, 10 by 42 seems to be the standard. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, myself, I started as an 8 by 42 I still have some. Um, but, you know, when I was able to play with 8 and 10, I, I grew to, towards the 10. I mean, outside of target archery, even hunting, I, I grabbed my, my 10 powers. Um, everything's, you know, the best way to put it is 100 feet looks like it's 10 feet from you. You lose, depending on the optic, you know, you might lose 30 to we'll say 70 field uh, feet of view. But, you know, I, I don't, at least to me, this is like just a personal opinion. Is that, that give or take to where I can start counting points quicker? Um, I'm willing to lose it because I'm not really, if I'm scanning that much of an area at, at a thousand yards, I'm looking through the glass too much. And I need to find a new hunting spot. Um, so that's what's shooting towards the tens is it, it, you just could, you know, you're able to start deciding. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever done it, but I mean, I've, I've dropped out of tree stands before when I saw a buck 
you know, out that wasn't coming my way to try to see if I can stalk on them. And if I had my ace with me, I don't know if I would have done it because I would have other questions if it was worth it. Okay. And then, like spotting scopes, I don't know anything about spotting scopes other than they all seem to be $1,000, and that kind of deters me from buying a spotting scope. But so why does someone, um, you know, what what is the benefit of uh, spotting scopes over binoculars in the same price range? Um, you know, obviously this is going to be for probably Western hunting. It doesn't apply. I mean, it may apply to Western whitetails, but it probably doesn't apply to whitetails much. So, yeah, I want to that. I guess unless you have like a chalet hunting shack um, that's overseeing a thousand acres, um, maybe not need a spotting scope, you know. Um, but for practicing, I'll, I'll use one because it's easier to just look down there instead of looking through binos and it's stationary. Um, but same thing with the spotting scopes, you want good quality, that HD ED glass. Um, Definitely for out west, um, it's you know it's you're limited, and uh, you know you have the one eye focus unless you go get like a phone scope adapter. Um, but you're talking size, like we have we have both HD and non HD glass just for price points. Um, like ours again, the top one. Uh, I don't have the price list in front of me, but I think it's five forty nine. It was four forty nine. Um, those both are specked out to over $2,000 bot scopes. Um, the 82, you know, the 80 to 85 range are heavy. Um, we, we see a lot of guys who are the long range precision shooting, you know, 1500 yards and they're using those because they want to play with the mirage because they watch for the wind change. Um, okay. you know, I, I've gone back and forth. I the 65 that we offer is plenty good. It's at 15 to 45. Um, it gets the job done with what I need it to do. I don't need to get out the 60 magnification. Um, but then again, if you got the smaller one, which is saving weight on your pack, if you drop, you get the phone scope, put your phone on there, and you zoom in with your phone, you can go beyond 45 all day long. That's whatever your phone will let you. So you can zoom in. Um, so it's kind of like a little cheat way to save a few pennies. And, um, that's what I, that's why I end up growing up too. And for budget guys, you know, I mean, I, I feel like that's kind of like, <laughs> that's why I like doing a podcast with John. And it's funny because I have more expensive binoculars than he does and <laughs> everything else he has is nicer than, and it's, it's for, it's purpose built. It's for a reason. And what, let's go back though. How did, how did you acquire those binos? Yeah, they came in the, uh, uh, one of the subscription boxes. <laughs> right. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been something that I would have uh, purchased uh, on my own. Uh, but that's, it's just one of those funny things is like, I feel like this is, you know, for the, the every man and for the, you know, that's why I wanted to have you on here and talk about it because like I said, you know, I, granted John's experience was like time, um, constrained, right? He needed binoculars today. Oh yeah. But spending a hundred dollars on those binoculars versus, you know, some of the vanguards I see are, you know, in the two hundred two hundred and fifty dollar range, is he'd be that much further ahead 
because he's you know he he could spend one hundred and fifty dollars on the same pair of binoculars and. Well, and, I'm just gonna say right now, I'm, I'm. Last year was, I mean, I had a set of binos, and we had a ton of other equipment to buy for our western hunt. So now this year, I have all my other equipment. And we're going to go out antelope hunting, so I guess I'm be putting an order in for a set of vanguards. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after we get off the line here, or after we get off, we'll be figuring out. Yeah, doing doing a little bit of talking, and and that's what I was going to say is I want to go to to Vanguard um, to support uh, a Michigan company and you know people that I've I've dealt with and and, and talked with, and you know realistically, it's going to be cool to be able to see you know side by side comparison with what I've got versus yeah. the, the Vanguard glass. And, you know, I've done that, that you, you guys had some up at the total archery challenge and, you know, from, I had my binoculars there and looked through, um, you guys had some that were set up on the, the truck shoot over there. Um, and I looked through those. I don't know which I remember. Oh which. yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the BHA guys had their binos up over there. Yep. Yep. And so I, I was looking through those and, you know, it's hard unless you're side by side and exact same conditions, everything um, looking through them to see like what the difference is. Um, One thing kind of like to John's point, you know, my brother, he's for the last bunch of years has been going out to South Dakota doing whitetail hunting. And after his first year out there, he had the $75, $80, $100, good enough for whitetail binoculars or, you know, drive around looking at deer type thing. He said he could not believe the amount of eye fatigue that he had on a shitty pair of binoculars versus his buddies who had, you know, they had one pair of Zeiss with them and then a bunch of other, you know, we'll call them uh, competitor uh, binoculars, but in the three to $500 range. And he said he just couldn't oh, yeah. believe the amount of eye fatigue through the binoculars that he was using. Can you explain a little bit of like why that happens or, or what's causing that and how to avoid it with equipment? I mean, that it's a, it's a circle of, you know, how our eyes are, you know, if you go to the eye doctor, they're going to tell you this or that, um, you know, if they're getting poor, better, but then also that, that HCED glass, um, I have an astigmatism in my red eye, and I can tell, you know, we go through all our line the glass quality with the ED stuff. I have more sense of relief when I get to, like, the fours, uh, which is quick side note on the fours. Prisms are a whole other ballgame with another podcast, but we put a better prism in them than the industry standard, so it gave even more eye relief. Um, but I can tell the difference. And now when I go, you know, when we have a dealer, you know, customer, um, that's wants, you know, we'll go above and beyond if they said they want to make sure that they're pristine clear. Um, you know, which we never see any issues, but we'll go in the back, check them out. Um, give them our additional QC pass. And if I grab some that are not HD, I'm like, man, what's up wrong with these? My, you know, I can feel instantly like my eyes are straining more, and I, I you know, I'll, I'll catch some some of those lines that we were talking about. Um, but that's just because my eyes have gotten so used to looking through the the good glass 
And it, so the fact was saying, like, his eyes are straining more with his than, uh, you know, his buddies. It's, it's crazy. And that can make or break a hunt right there. Not only that, like, I noticed um, a couple years ago when I went out to Montana, we were out there on a motorcycle ride, but I brought my bear grills with, you know, <laughs> and my buddy Eddie, who lives in uh, Bozeman there, he has Swarovski. And so the one night he's like, we got back from the ride and he's like, you want to go see some elk? So I'm like, yeah, sure. So we go out and we're like right at the base of the bridgers and he busts out his spotting scope and his 10 by 42s. And I got my, you know, 10 by 42 bear grills and it's starting to get that low light. And I could see him at first, you know, I could see like, look like ants coming down the mountain. And he's like, now try these. And it was like night and day. Like you're talking about the, the, the light lost or, you know, the, the amount of light you could see through it. I couldn't see shit out of the, my bush and elves compared to the Swarovskis. Yeah. I mean, just crazy. The, the clarity and, you know, the, and the low light conditions. So if, if that's like, you know, like a determining factor, if you could try them at a low light situation, you would definitely you know, be able to tell the difference. Yeah, Tom, you know, you're going to be up at the Michigan. So Vanguard's working with uh, Michigan BHA this year, I believe. And you're going to be up at yeah, the... Yeah, we'll be at the rendezvous. Yeah. So are you going to have some equipment up there so people can test this stuff out oh, yeah. at the at the low light times and, and, and all of that? Yeah, yeah, we'll have all that out depending on... The weather, we might do some fun little things with it, you know, at nighttime, uh, you know, when you have the starlight hour, just the moon, if we have a good night, or maybe it's like hide and go seek or something with some dots to win some stuff. Uh, we'll see. Um, but they can test it out. And that's what you, like you said, that's what you have to do side by side. And, and it was funny you said that. We're, we're looking at some stuff uh, to next year to where, we could do like a, almost like the, what they call like the Pepsi cup challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, something like that where people aren't going to know what they're looking through, but they can check it out and get a firsthand experience. And then you have the wall factor or, you know, the prisms are better in their eyes for the other brand and that's what they like. And that's what it is, which is okay. Well, I think that's great because it's one of those where it's real easy for you to come on here and be, you know, well, I, ours are the best and that's it. And a lot of this stuff comes down just like bows. It comes down to preference. You know, there's guys that will shoot a bow that I would say is inferior just because of, you know, components, fit and finish, um, you know, and I'm probably not even the guy to speak to that because everything I look at is like cost based on shootability. And so maybe, maybe that gives me, I guess a, a bigger voice because the shoot, the shootability part of it is, is more important to me with bows. And it all comes down to personal preference, whether it's dead in the hand speed, you know, whatever floats your boat. But with something that is actually like physiologically different in everybody with their eyes, you know, to understand that it, it's going to be a different experience for everybody that picks up a set of binoculars or a spotting scope. You know, oh, I, th yeah. I think that speaks to, you know, 
kind of like the quality of people that they have over at Vanguard. Because like I say, it'd be easy for you to just say, oh, you have those? Well, you don't, you don't understand. And to say, well, you know, ours are you know, much better than Swarovski or this or that. I mean, it's it would be easy for someone to come on here and just blow smoke and say, you know, ours are better. Um, but to say, hey, it's a it's a really individual thing and everybody's eyes are going to be different. You know, I think that that's, that's great. You know? Yeah. You know, I mean, you, had it, you said it right. I didn't think about it before. It's basically, you know, I, I'm able to tune. I, I can tune op, an optic from our optic line to your eyes just as someone can tune a bow to your liking. Um, and that's what it needs to come down to. And that's what, you know, I hope it'd be great to see every brand out there do that because you just need to get something that they're going to enjoy. So up there at the BHA rendezvous, you're going to be speaking kind of what, what are you going to be offering for the, the people that are, that are headed up there? Yeah. So I mean, to be like a little, a little relapse on some, you know, we're going to bring up a pack, um, you know, kind of do what's in your pack. Uh, you know, every, as you know, every scenario is different uh, on hunting. So, you know, I'll probably touch base on what's the, what's the basic, um, what you should have, uh, you know, safety first aid down to some backup stuff, um, depending on what you're doing. If, if you're packing in versus if you're just going in a couple of miles, coming back to your truck, um, two different, you know, you can shed a lot of weight there. So we're going to shed on that, you know, just overall of, you know, optic and optics and weight. Um, so that's going to be a key point. And then we'll just roll in to user experiences, you know, like what I used on a, from a ground blind to a turkey hunt to the bear hunt, you know, what, what changed up and, just get people thinking. So with that uh, that bear hunt, I don't think John isn't a hundred percent going to be bear hunting because I don't think he applied for a tag. Um, Is it over? Yeah, oh. yeah. So John John will not I'm be out. bear hunting in uh, Michigan, but he didn't have any points, anyways. Uh, Frank, myself, and a couple other guys we we should draw um, for Michigan bear here. We've never hunted bear ever in our lives. You just got back from a, a Canadian bear hunt. Um, yep. so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. And it just happened to be that you went with the, uh, you were in camp with all the Zeus broadheads guys. And we yeah. had Nick on the yep. podcast here a couple months ago or so. And we shot the broadheads and took a look at them. And, you know, <laughs> truth be told, like what I gave him to John, he was like, what in the world is this thing? Like <laughs> this is, and, and basically through the podcast, Nick hit every single one of John's, you know, trigger points on it where he was like, well, it looks like a, a plane. So how, I don't know how <laughs> it's going to fly. Uh, you know, there's, it's kind of loud, you know, all these things. And he was right on top of every single one of those things. So, um, so was that your first bear hunt? And, and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, first bear hunt, and uh, you tell Nick his broadheads don't work. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, first bear hunt, you know, stars aligned, an opportunity um, wasn't expecting to happen. So, you know, you're always grateful for that. Um, the one crazy different thing was, is, you know, so it's all guided, but 
they take you out there. They're in the same, you know, it's because it's, it's Canada, so it's Crown Land. It's not, it's our state land, but they call it Crown Land. Um, they drop you off in the same unit, and then the guide sits in the neutral location because in case someone gets a bear early, they can go over there if it's a good hit, pack it up, or come get everybody and they'll find the bear. Uh, so originally going in, I thought the guy was going to be chilling with me the whole time. <laughs> so you, you go out at two 30 in the afternoon. So you're not hunting in the morning and you go sit all day and you get picked up at about 10, 10 30 at night. So that was, that was a different experience because you know, you're a different country. You're going, there's black bears all around me. There might be some wolves depending <laughs> on where the pack's at. And, uh, you're just chilling here by yourself with a flashlight. Um, so you get picked back up. So it's definitely um, a connection to nature beyond what is expected. But, um, you know, that was definitely different. Um, it was, so, you know, the first time I was playing with units because, you know, we don't really have, I guess, I mean, we have units in Michigan. Maybe it's because we've just grown up here to where you don't really think about it. You know, you say, oh, state land, I'm going to go hunting as long as my tag applies to it. Um, and so I had a unit that was known for bigger bears, but, but less traffic. Um, and I saw that right away because the first day there was a handful down and the next day they do this handful down. I didn't see anything. And these guys are saying, Oh yeah, I saw some or didn't have a shot. I'm going, man, what the heck? They're like, I'm not seeing a beer or a beer. <laughs> a bear. <laughs> I wasn't seeing any of those either. Um, and, but they're finally like day three. Um, you know, you get bored doing videos and I was like, well, day three, here we go. And it was interesting. So the guide, um, you know, you have the main guy and then it was the guy's uncle that was taking us out and old timer, all these guys up there, all they do is they rifle hunt. I, I, I didn't meet one of them that bow hunted. It's just, they're, they're very secluded. And when they need meat for food, they're going up there to get the job done. Um, and so they were all stoked to see this people get bears with, with bow and arrows. And, but he was telling me, he goes, I swear bears are drawn to noise. And, uh, is if you're talking in the blind, because they're, they're curious, they, the black bears, they want to know what's going on. And I'm like, I don't know, man, you're, you know, you're the, you're the guy first time hunt. And that day I shot by and, you know, kind of joking. I said, well, come back to my way. I think I'm going to get one early. And I didn't get one early, but he started the truck up about eight o'clock and he was about 150 yards behind me. And at eight 30, here came in the black bear that I shot. I'm going, no way. Like maybe, maybe this guy was right, you know. Uh, you know, the noise kind of came out. Because when, uh, I, I haven't really put the video out yet, but he comes in and, you know, they had a barrel out there. They, they dropped a couple little things of meat in there. But it wasn't, wasn't heavily, you know, you hear some places where they're dumping uh, granola bars and custard, all that, all that good stuff that they like to smell. It wasn't like heavily baited. He came in right behind the barrel, but to even go to it, he just was like he was searching. Either he was searching for a sow or the noise drowned, you know, got him to come out. And um, there's like a split second, like away, 
just let it rip and that's uh you know use that zeus and i, I hit him right right in the heart heart shot and we didn't because we didn't get them out we just coded them out so we didn't really dig in too deep but um i think it might have been an upper heart because he went up probably about about 35 40 yards into the cedar swamp because it was 8 30 so we let him lay uh the night just because safety wise you didn't want to go out there chasing a wounded bear um but yeah he would he didn't go far at all and uh cold as can be it was you know temperature's different up there so it was it was a rush and even even to um you know the blood pumping you get buck fever or something mm-hmm. um i didn't get that and uh, you know, i've talked to a few other guys and they said no yeah i didn't get that either but in the video, um, after I shot it, it's split second. You hear a big old deep exhale, and I didn't even realize I was holding my breath. And it was just totally like it just—I don't know—it's just because it's like you're facing a predator or what it was. But it was—it was a totally different sensation. So, but once you get that, you're like you're hooked. You're like, I was talking to a guy the other day. He goes, "Man, I would rather go hunt ten black bear." And not hunt whitetail in a whole year. And I was like, I couldn't agree more. Like, it was just a totally different hunt. I'm like, let's go back and do some more. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because I was talking to John about this. You know, we've said it on the podcast, no matter who we talk to, like, whatever, it ends up being like, broadheads are either the best broadhead or they're the worst broadhead. It's never the shooter. It's never anything else. It's, you know you made a good shot and the broadhead did its job or like whatever, but you're kind of like unbiased. Cause you know, what you told me for your interaction with Nick was, well, Nick, I can shoot a bear with one of my broadheads or one of your broadheads. So you, yeah, you, you, yeah. Had, you had no, uh, no dog in the fight really. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I knew his broadhead was going to shoot good out of my bow. You know, I, I got into the whole, you know, super tuning your bow, paper tuning, um, so unless that broadhead was not put together correctly or there was a bend in it, it was going to shoot good. You know, so I got, it was the first day he got, you know, they were tied up with getting stuff out. He came out three hours before he handed him. So I shot two, they shot right, right, put it. And the, that portion of that, you know, you got the bleeder blades and then you got the main one with that, you know, uh, like a high enforced spring, I guess you could say. You know, I haven't done too much in depth for the correct term that he's using, but the idea is it's not—it's really like a hybrid. You know, it's not a mechanical. Even though, yep, they can move, but they're not going to collapse. Uh, like, a, like you know, you look at other mechanicals out there—they—they they open up on contact or they—they they close out after they go through. But I think that's what helped get this bear a little bit because he. uh when I shot first time, first time I've seen an animal move as the arrow hit it. It's like it, I've heard stories where they hear the arrow coming at it, and the air to me, I didn't hear any noise, but it could sense it could sense that something was going to hit it. And so when you slow the video down, you see it just as the arrow is probably. I would imagine it was eight to a foot away, eight inches to a foot away, it started to duck a little bit and it brought its shoulder back to try to shield, you know, that core area. 
and that arrow just snuck in. And so I was freaking out at first because I found it, you know, it broke off and I'm like, no way. Cause that was such a good shot. And, but that, that broadhead that Nick developed in that juice with that spring, it allowed that blade on the one side to push back, uh, to, to allow that straight flight path that I was going for. And then after it, you know, sliced through that show, you know, caught the shoulder, the foot back, it was still kept going straight, but it allowed the blade to flex in. And then once it passed that point, it was back open, uh, you know, full level horizontal with the other one. And it went through and then it just got stuck in the, the opposite shoulder. And then when you step forward, that's when he broke my arrow. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like Nick was saying, because if it was with one of the other broadheads, because I don't know if it would have happened. You know, it's hard to say unless you could duplicate the shot. Um, but all the other broadheads I had, you know, they're not allowing a blade to flex like that. Um, so it could have just got, you know, game over and got stuck in the, the shoulder. Cause they have really, they have some beefy bony shoulders that, that would make a bad day for anybody. So how many, how many bears were actually killed up there with the bow and with the uh, bow? Uh, there was 11 bears. 11. 12, 12 people, 11 bears shot. Were they all shot with the Zeus broadhead or just? Yep. Just, really? Nope, all of them were shot with the Zeus. <laughs> Sounds good. What happened, I mean, to, what happened to the 12th guy? The 12th guy? He didn't. He saw one. And I, I was, I had to razz him a little bit because, I mean, you can't see it on camera unless it's, you know, you have some $10,000 camera. But he said he didn't have a good shot. And I said, well, what are the size of those twigs? He's going to make it happen. And, uh, but he, he did he, you know, he said he didn't have a clear shot on it. And, um, you know, you're just razzing each other in hunt camp, but he, yeah, he didn't get a shot off. So. And John's raising so, I mean, his eyebrows pretty, and pointing his thumb yeah. at me. So I don't know if he's talking about the elk or the whitetail that we've seen in Idaho, but he's <laughs> the whitetail. I would never razz you about the elk. That was a good call, but the whitetail, not so much. He could have killed that one all day. We, we killed that one up at Toll Archie challenge. I don't know how many times last <laughs> weekend or whatever it was. Oh man. But like I say, that that's awesome because like for us here and for the listener that's been following along and you know, I got a lot of messages about, the Zeus and like, are you going to shoot him? What do you think about him? And, you know, we, we told Nick, we said, we'll shoot him. Um, you know, I don't have a problem, but I I got uh, my scale right in front of me. I'll tell you what, I actually don't know what my setup was or the overall weight, but this was the one thing when I was talking, you know, cause that was fun. You know, I was, I was there for a week with Nick and, uh, you know, his, his group of guys that that kind of dealt with it. Um, since I was welcoming, but, and you weren't up there with with Nick, right? So it wasn't like he brought yeah. you up there to try his broadheads and a- no, anything like no. that. It just sort of happened that way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was. There was no contract, nothing forced to, to do it. I said, "Yeah, let me just try it." Um, so, like, my arrow setup is four hundred fifty grains. Okay. And that's with a one twenty five tip. Um, that's just what I grew to like, and it shocked good the you know kinetic energy that I get out of it. Um but like Nick was telling me and I just haven't had time to really dabble with it to experience it firsthand. But 
but he designed those with the idea for that average hunter in mind to where most guys are using a hundred grain tips. Um, and I've used them for years, but you deal with that issue of the, that kinetic energy momentum as it goes through. And you know, I, I've had it happen. I've hit a deer in the shoulder with a hundred grain and it didn't, it, it went in two inches and fell out. Um, and I was frustrated. That made me stop using a broadhead. And he designed with that, that spring and that blade he was telling me, he goes, that way, the, you know, whether it's just by choice or your bow set up, you know, your draw weight, that 100 grain is the best for you, um, you're still going to have the max potential possible with that with that broadhead. And when he first said that, I was like, okay, I, you know, thinking, you know, I'm going back to the marketing side of things. I'm like, I started to think about it more. I said, no, I said, he's, he's right because that, that you have that true path, and as soon as you penetrate, that, that hide, all it is is about pasture at that point. So if you have blades that will that will function and uh, adjust, so that's perfect. Yeah, and you know it's it's funny because we've got some here, and John's been playing with them here and there. And when we were on the 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 phone with Nick, and when he was talking to him, he was playing with it, and he says, "Yeah, I shot this one into uh, the target a bunch of times." and back and forth and they stay sharp because he stabbed himself with it like right where we were on the phone oh, yeah. with him so <laughs> i mean it's a like i said i got i've got yeah. that one in my hand right now so <laughs> it's definitely still no sharp. they were impressive and i mean I, i've shot a variety of broadheads and i still have you know because you, you accumulate them over the years and uh you know i like too is he with those broadheads is he can so quickly go from 100 grains to 125. I just switched up the tip. Mm-hmm. So like mine, you know, he he pulled out the package, 100 grains, and he just had the the extra 25 grain tips. Swapped it out right there. We're ready to rock and roll. And um, when I got you know we got that broadhead out of the bear and. The only thing that, which if I go put it on a little grinder and make it pointy again, is the tip, the little, probably a sixteenth of the tip got you know, bent to the one side. But the blades are fine, the head's fine. Just, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and grind that tip off and I'll go use it again on a deer or turkey this fall. So what's your, uh, what's your bow set up right now? What are you shooting and your components and stuff? So for... My hunting bow, I have, I, I switched to the, it's the Prime, the CT3 this year. Uh, give it a whirl. Um, and what drew me to that was how easy it could tune. I, I got big into the whole, like I mentioned, the, the super tuning game. And time is money, and I spent too much time before. But so, so let's try it out. So I went with that bow, and. Um, I've ran the Montana Black Gold site for years. I, I switched probably four or five years ago. Um, and I, I go with a five pin slider. And you can choose, so with a slider, you can make your, your 50 or 60 yard pin the, the adjustable one. So they all say six, but when you're, you know, at the target site, you can put your uh, yardage tape on there. And so if it's marked at 60, that means your bottom pin's a slider. But now he moved it to 70, 80, and everything's offset. 
Um, so that was one plus function. Um, I like that one too because third axis, a lot of folks don't or haven't dabbled with third axis. And it, and really if you're in Michigan or any other kind of whitetail state, you hunt it from a tree stand, you should probably look at it um, because that's that angle shot and that's going to put your placement out of not, not in the right area. You could be, depending on how whacked out it is, you could be four to six inches left or right at an angle shot. Um, so I like that portion. Um, and then with the site still, they, you know, they turn purple. It has that housing to where it controls the light. And, um, you know, back to the lights key, really. Um, did that one, and then I tried. Uh, I, I've i done ham ski. I still have that on one of my bows uh, for the rest, but for, I went with a vapor trail for the rest of the hunting bows. Um, and trying the Gen 7 one out this year. Uh, and it's pretty solid. Um, but the two, I think, probably three consistent things is that, that one, that precision peak, it's like a post. It's almost like iron sight, so you just settle the, the pin on, on top of that when you draw. And then uh, the, the, the tap stabs um, at titanium alloy, that's uh, been a key factor. And I've noticed on, on quiet, a lot of these bows are, you know, they get louder, the carbon base are even louder. Um, so that titanium is going to dampen the noise quicker than uh, carbon's going to. Um, and especially I, I switched to last year, I tried, they, they make a string stop, same thing. And they have an internal component that helps too. And that's, that's amazing. I mean, how quiet the bow gets, um, as soon as you stick one of those on and that, that's a big key. Cause I said, I don't want, I saw too many videos where deer jumping strings and they shot and I said, that's not good. So, um, that's about, you know, and I shoot 70 pounds. You know, went up to that game, um, and it's it's a solid solid system. So so far, you know, we got the turkey and the bear down this year with it. So it's holding true for where where I'm holding aim at. <laughs> so real quick, with the you were saying how easy it was to tune the prime. So John shies away from the prime because of the strings. He's a string builder and. He likes them. His brother shoots prime. I shot the primes at ATA, but man, it just, and I don't, it's not from John, um, like from his perspective, I completely understand. And prime does free strings for life. If you're the original owner of the bow, which makes total sense because they look like a nightmare to try and build or replace or, or whatever. But how is it that they're easier to tune or what's the, what's the draw to it? Cause that the, for me, I like simplicity and that quad cam system, even if they're slaved together, just looks like there's so many moving parts to, you know, where something additional yeah. could go wrong. Right. And you came from a Bowtech no. double yoke system where it's like the easiest thing to tune or, you know, mo- more flexibility. Yeah. And I can still like, you know, uh, like my fiance, she shoots, still has the bone tech. Uh, you know, my family friends that still have them. Uh, and so when something's up, I, I know what's going on here. I'm going to put a twist in this cable, twist in that cable. Um, so it's almost, I think when it comes down to that game, you're talking of tuning wise, it's almost kind of like what the individual is going to deem is too much because 
I don't, I mean, that's just how the boat's designed. I don't think it's too much. You, you can know what's going on when the a cable gets stretched. But with the prime system, I thought the same exact thing for years. I was like, man, there's just a lot going on. Um, even down to when I, when I got the target bow in there and I, I had bought some, what's of a deal for some aftermarket strings and I'm going, how in the heck do I change these? And, you know, if you got that, that note in there and you felt like a, a ding dong for a second because you realize that the, the smaller cable that goes on the can just slides through it. <laughs> like, oh, there you go. But so that allows everything, you know, they, they come from the factory. They're, they're all tuned in center. That center tune, um, it's meant to keep everything right center behind. And I went up there, um, you know, because Michigan to check it out and just curious. And I was crazy, like some of the, uh, the attention to what they did to, I don't know what the unit was, but they were measuring like points on the riser to see if it was in the specs of how it's supposed to be. And if it wasn't, they, even if it was a custom build, they put it aside and start over and correct that one if it was possibly corrected. Um, you know, cause at some point a machine touched it and you don't know what could have happened. So that kind of blew my mind. Um, but really, it, you know, that's what that camp system does. It just keeps, there was no messing with a Y cable. And, you know, if you go through, uh, you know, a yoke system, you have to do the, you have the rough set timing, which this, you know, they have theirs too. And, the, but the one thing they don't have is you're not dealing with the, the rough set cam lean where you're grabbing the, the laser to make sure your, your reference points are hitting the same on both sides. Um, you know, every, every bow they say has some sort of cam lean a little bit to it. But because that string and cables are in unison um, with their system, it eliminates having a focus on that. And, you know, I didn't really get it until I picked one up there and that's what I just got I read into it um, and, and saw it. So typically when I get the bone check in from the factory, you go through, you know, you check it because as soon as you put your draw length or tweak it, put your peep side down, um, you start altering what was done at the factory. And all I did with this one was, uh, you know, because you're not, I'm thinking, oh, shoot, how am I going to get my paper tube done? Because if I do a bare shaft and if it was knock left, knock high, I'm doing a twist here in this, in this yoke cable to get it back in. But with that system to get your, your bare shaft tuned, it's all you're doing is you, you just cut back a little bit on your arrow. So I was actually able to cut my arrow back a quarter of an inch. So you save some weight and it was just one cut and I was, I was doing bullet holes and that was out of the, the target bow, the hunting bow. I, I didn't do anything with it and just grabbed it and it, it shot a bullet hole bear shaft. Um, so then you just start messing with the fletching and you gotta, then you're just messing with your, your rest or your knock point. And the other thing that I liked, um, which is the crossover from Potec because they had theirs too, was that, that flux guard, the, they call theirs the Fluxus Prime. But with those, a lot of folks don't realize is they're meant to get within your fletching of, you know, like a quarter inch safely. Some, some folks might say a little bit closer, um, you know, if, if you dabble with it enough. But it's to keep it, that arrow more center 
behind. So it's with tuning. So, you know, I adjusted that, uh, which made it simple. So really there's only outside of your rest, there's only two, really just one, one tuning adjustment. So that was the flex guard. The rest was just arrow and accessories. Um, so it definitely tuned a lot quicker. And, uh, it, you know, it settles good in the hand. Um, so far, so far, I like it. There, you know, there's some things for when you're looking at cam lean and you might think it might need something. Um, but it hasn't been noted. So we'll see. Like I said, you know, this first time I've kind of crossed out of the, the Bowtech game and messed with it. But there, there's so many bows. I think. You know, you say like the main five bow brands. It, it, I think they've about maxed out on what you can do. Um, there's always some little tweaks that you kind of add, but they're so equal nowadays. It's just kind of like you said, what feels good in your hand. I, I mean, with with bows, like I always just defer to John with like, well, how does this work or how does this work? I mean, that was what was cool, like a total archery challenge. Like, like if you saw our story or like what was going on, like. He completely broke down mm-hmm. that Matthews and we're paper tuning it in the room. And I was just thinking, man, that was going to be a son of a bitch if you had to cut down the arrows to to get it to shoot a bullet hole. We didn't have a saw with us. <laughs> like we had everything yeah. else. Um, you, you know, but but that's that's the thing. And, you know, you look at those primes and they shoot good. You know, there's a lot of good qualities, but damn, are they intimidating. And, the ones I've shot. Yeah, I think crossover. You know, I shot my brothers and stuff. The one thing, I mean, and this is just my personal preference, it, it has that super solid back wall, or like the ones I shot did. I don't know if there's other ones that don't have, like, the limb stop or if you can take that off or what, but I, did, I like... Yeah, I don't know their history. I, I don't know if it was recently, like, within the last couple of miles or if it's been an option, but I know, like, uh, both mine they can go limb stopper cables. So when you have that hard back wall, that limb stop. Right. Um, which I, I haven't switched that on the hunting bow yet. Um, I just had the limb stops on and just worked out in the way and, uh, you know, you just have enough time to, to mess with it. But uh, now on the target bow, uh, which is the nine, I had that one a little bit longer. I actually, I'm, I'm messing with it a little bit. I'm, I'm doing like a two stage. I use the back tension with that one. Mm-hmm. So I set the cable stops up probably about a sixteenth of an inch to hit before the limb stops do. Right. So when I draw back, I can settle on the cable stops, and then as I'm ready to pull through and my clip goes off, I'm hitting the limb. So it's just kind of I'm still messing with it, and it's taken us some time to just master that aspect. But in theory, it should work really good for just consistency once you master it. Right. But with that that cable stop you definitely have more sponge to play with right and that's what i mean that's what i like about you know like my hoyts and the old my uh bowtech boss actually had i'm sure you're you know familiar with it but that had you could go either cable stops or limb stop and i tried the limb stop and it just didn't work for my style of shooting i just don't like that that super solid back wall and when i shot my brother's bow both his prime and his elite when i shot his elite he was about he about yelled at me for ripping the limbs off he's like jesus i thought you're gonna rip the limbs off because <laughs> <laughs> i've come back of course he's you know shorter draw length than i am so 
come back. Yeah, I think I, I, I honestly think of the hunting. I'm going to end up with the cables on it uh, exactly for that because sometimes you just pull back too fast. And <laughs> I said, boy, yeah. boom. <laughs> and, you know, but you know, look at some of these, you, you'll read some of these forums and stuff. A lot of guys are saying, go, go to the cable. Well, I mean, this has been all great stuff, and uh, I think we definitely need to do this again probably, um, you know, maybe once we get some, some vanguards in our hands and we can kind of talk to you about this, that, and the other thing. But, it, I mean, it sounds like we could do a whole tuning podcast between you and John, and I could just sit here and uh, I could mediate the thing and ask why this and and why that. Because, I mean, yeah, that's obviously where this podcast came from is, me asking John questions and yeah. him answering very long form, and I'm going, well, holy shit, this is this is this is probably work pretty well, um, but you know, for our listeners and everybody else, where can they follow along with what uh, you've got going on and what do you have coming up with the the shoot for life and maybe a little bit of backstory on that? Um, so if it's you know my my personal stuff, what I'm what I'm working on, it's just it's the the social side right now until so the website gets done. Uh, but it's just Tom Spizartry on Instagram, uh, or you have me on Facebook. I have a page I've been slacking on, uh, but I do have like you know the official page, but I have my personal one as well. Um, if it's Vanguard, it's just Vanguard Outdoors that you want to check out on. Um, and then the Shoot for Life, we have um, we have our platforms, the website, uh, social, and. With that, you know, we have an event coming up in September. I think I believe it's September 14th. Um, but it's it's the archery-driven focus. So, it's, you know, like you said, you're up at Total Archery Challenge. You're up there. It's for fun. We're, we're shooting, you know, you're shooting arrows up there. Uh, you know, you have the only internal competitive with your buddies. And that's the whole mindset. You know, we get some good sponsors and, you know, door prizes, um, silent auction stuff. And you just come there and shoot. Usually it's anywhere from 15 to 20 bucks. And um, there's, you know, we're at seven, yeah, we have seven directors. Um, no one gets paid for it. And that that money that, that's raised uh, from, the, from the admission to... Uh, any kind of door prizes or novelty shoots, it all goes to the cause. Um, so we, that's one thing I wanted to make sure is that it was very fun and cost specific. And so on, as a general thing with the, with shoot for life is it's not bound to one cause. It, it, it supports to eradicate life altering illnesses. And when we sat down, said how do you pick or choose man like there's you know if it's been existing i get it but like when you're starting new when we did like how do you choose what illness you want to support more i said well let's just make it so we can do it all you know if that event came up where we can you know if you called me up and said hey i want to do that my local club that's what i want to do for it. okay go for it um so with that you know what we'll, we'll we chose a specific cause so like this one september it goes to cs mott children's hospital but it's not to the general fund. Uh, it, we specifically chose, it's called the Family Hope Fund. And that is for, you know, if families who have a child, that's there. And it may be food or lodging or travel to get there. 
because um, Moss is so much above and beyond to, you know, give life or help life. And families, you know, they not, you know, they're taking care of their child, but they can't get there to be with family. So that fund specifically helps them. Um, and that was one thing that we want any event that we do, you'll, you'll know exactly where your money's going. And that's, you know, I wanted to make sure of that because you hear so many times that people are like, oh, I just donated to this. I don't know where my money goes, but it's just going somewhere. <laughs> and we didn't want that to happen. So outside of having fun, possibly getting some stuff, you know, you know, at the end of the day, you know, any kind of money that you spent, that, where, where it's going to go, uh, which is always good. Awesome. Yeah, man, that's, that's great. Um, and if there's anything that we can do to help and, and, you know, when you've got your, um, event coming up here, you said there's going to be one in September, um, let us know and we'll definitely, you know, promote, promote, promote as much as we can. I know you're on the other side of the state, but, uh, and you know, it sounds like you're doing it like right in the middle of elk season. So there might be some of our listeners that are like, come on, man. Like what's going on? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It's so hard to find a good time. We've, We've bounced all over. So, uh, but yeah, and you know, like I said, life got life always gets, you know, gets roadblocks, but you keep going forward. And you know, I know at this time we wanted to be more broad and in different areas, but it didn't happen yet. But it will. Um, yeah, we're working on packages to where, you know, like at your local club, if you guys wanted to do one, brought brought by uh, Bow Hunter Chronicles, um, it'll be possible at some point. Uh, you know, because a lot of times people that's what started it really I, I wanted to do an archery shoot for another organization so based on their rules um i couldn't and which is kind of weird because you wanted to help out for a good cause and they're telling you no um and so that's what i want to be able to make it to where it, it, you know we just hooked, hooked someone up with a packet and said here you go and uh, but there's just some minor little details that we're working out so hopefully that'll come out next year yeah, for sure. That'd be, you know, we could definitely do it at our club. Yeah, we got a pretty nice course, and yeah, we have all the three D. I mean, we get the volunteers and set up the three D course, and got a lot of. I mean, it's a big area, so. Right. Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, like I said, just keep us posted, and you know, any way that we can help out with that, and and thanks so much for you know coming on and talking for Vanguard because bear grills over here and 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 <laughs> budget subscription box guy over here we don't know shit about optics and i i would say that we're not in the minority right you know you you i would say the general public looks at a pair of hundred dollar binoculars and says these are probably going to be good enough and then you see a five hundred dollar pair of binoculars and you say man, why would you need those? And then you say, look at those $10,000 binoculars. Like, why would you ever buy those? Um, so I think yeah, all that information is, is great. <laughs> so Yeah, that's good. I'm always happy to help out. Awesome, man. Well, like I said, we'll have to do this again and look forward to seeing you up at the BHA Rendezvous in uh, in August. Yeah, yeah, we'll see you there. Thanks for having me. And, uh, we'll be soon. Awesome. Thanks.
and sit down. down.